Good to be with you guys this morning. I'm, I'm so excited to be preaching at my new church, at our new church. We are just so grateful to be a part of this community. Um, we feel like we're in on the ground floor. We're, we're, we're in at the startup stage, and, uh, and that is just so exciting. We've gotten to know many of you and look forward to getting to know more. And uh, it's interesting, you know, um, when it comes to um, preaching, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to come into a community and go, Lord, what is it that, that you want uh, to, to, to preach and to teach by your spirit uh, to this congregation. And one of the things that's struck me so much about, about this community is that it's a community of prayer. Um, we just came out of our fasting and prayer. We had so many people show up for that and participate in that. And I can just tell there's just a leaning forward. I, I, think, I think we understand the power of prayer at Monument right? Like at the end of the day, there's nothing more powerful than being able to ask the master of the universe to do something, right? right. And, and so to me, it just feels like, why, why, why don't we dig into prayer? Why don't we understand a little bit more what it is to pray effectively? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a good thing to know? I mean, how many of you in this room feel like your prayer life is everything it can be? I mean, it is like you have an effective prayer life such that like you pray mountains move, which is what Jesus promised us, right? H- how many? Oh, come on. See, uh, okay, I got one. Thank you. You are excused. It's great to have you here this morning. I know if Sue Rob was here, but she went to be with the kids, she might have raised her hand. But I also know that anybody who feels like they have an effective prayer life just knows that it can be more effective that actually if we are to pray like Jesus prayed, I mean, think of the fruit of his prayers. It was extraordinary. I mean, things happen that are beyond words, beyond imagination. And he's called us into that kind of prayer life. So how do we do it? What does it mean to pray in that way? And if you're like me, you have a prayer life, you prioritize prayer, you enjoy prayer, but intentional times of prayer can get crowded out sometimes, even by good godly things, right? Maybe you have a sort of prayer vision for your life or a way you'd like to be where you pray and you feel deep communion with God and you're not distracted and you hear his voice and he speaks so clearly. You pray in perfect faith and mountains move. I mean, Jesus did promise this kind of prayer, but we find ourselves not quite there in many moments. And I think the disciples also did. And there's proof of that in the scripture. I mean, the disciples were desperate for the, that very thing. So ask Jesus, how do we get it? How do we pray? I mean, you remember, it's probably the most famous passage in all of scripture where they ask him this question and he answers. And, and maybe they were thinking sometimes like this, you know, I pray, but I'm not sure God hears me. And what I pray for doesn't always seem to happen. I pray, but I run out of stamina for prayer quickly, and I have trouble doing it regularly. I mean, does that sound familiar? And and I think they probably felt the same way. And so they must have been so psyched. They're like, we've got the master prayer. I don't know who asked this. This is the disciples asked, but whoever did, I mean, if Peter asked, James must have been like, such a great question. I'm so glad you asked that. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so I want to read from Matthew 6. And just stay with me, and I want you to notice maybe what you've never noticed before. If you had to pick one major theme out of this next passage, what would it be? Many of you have 
memorize this. Maybe if you've never memorized another passage, you've memorized this one. But see if you can tune your ears to something new that teases out of the passage. So in Matthew 6, 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The last two verses say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, if I were the disciples, honestly, and I had asked the question, and I got this, I mean, I'm just being totally frank here, I would have been like, Okay. No, it was good. That's good. I mean, it made sense, but maybe a little underwhelmed. He didn't give us the magic words. He didn't give us, you know, some uh, extraordinary and complex uh, kind of explanation. And, 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 and who knows? Maybe they were expecting the, the earth to shake or light to shine from the heavens because after all, he was Jesus. But he produces this simple, earnest prayer at, at first blush maybe not exactly what they expected. But if we begin to mine this prayer for, for the depth of substance that it contains, we uncover the deep wisdom of Jesus for how he speaks with his heavenly Father. And there's so much that pertains to effective prayer. But today I want to focus on what appears to me to be possibly the most important thing Jesus says about how to pray. I, I mean, of all the things he says, he really highlights... For me, one key thing. And it doesn't make the others unimportant by any means, but it does cause me to narrow in on it this morning. So, okay, here's the quiz. What is it that seems to be the one big thing he punches, not once, not twice, but three times? There's whispers. Be bold. Be bold. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What does that have to do with anything? No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. When we were asking you how to pray, we wanted to know, like, the, you know, the elocution, the articulation, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. Can you imagine if they asked him this and he produced a six-page prayer? None of us would want to pray again for the rest of our lives. Well, if that's how you do it, I'm sunk. But actually, it's a simple prayer, and the thing he highlights more than anything is forgiveness. I mean, why is that so important? Well, obviously you realize that forgiveness is so important just to us as Christians. I mean, as followers of Jesus, the currency of our lives, the very reason we live and breathe and exist is because of forgiveness. We've been forgiven. I mean, as followers of Christ, we, we must not only forgive, we must be students of forgiveness. 
We must be the best at forgiveness. I mean, has anybody ever said to you, you are so good at forgiving? Like, nobody's ever said that to me. But what a compliment that would be. Because actually, it's the one thing Jesus did that made it possible for us to have life eternal in heaven with him. He forgave. And so, of course, duh, it's going to be about forgiveness. If you want to commune with the Father in a vital way and pray like I do, be completely clear of unforgiveness. Have your heart be totally pure before me. Now that is a lot harder than it sounds. But he helps us. And, and there's ways that we can learn and know and understand how to do that. I don't know if you ever recognized in this prayer that he talks about forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then he circles back, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So do you ever, I mean, how much do you consider the importance of forgiveness in your prayer life? I mean, do you think of it as an A plus B equals C? Like this is the X factor of our prayer life. Like we can use all kinds of words and we can do it regularly and we can do it in certain ways and yet if we harbor unforgiveness, actually it just takes the power and the punch right out of it because we're going to God, glorifying him, thanking him, asking him and saying, but I will not forgive so-and-so. I will not speak to and I still have some bitterness or I resent and it is natural in many ways for all of us. But there's other scriptures that speak to this. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. He's saying, actually, if you come to worship me, I'd rather not have it. If there is an issue, not even that you have against somebody, but that somebody has against you. Oh, wow, well, that starts to become a potentially long list for some of us. He says, first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. I mean, don't you just sort of have this image of God? He's like, just come and worship me whenever. I just love you unconditionally. Actually, it's not true. He's saying, if somebody has something against you, don't come running, go settle that and then come. Whoa, that, that is sobering. There's another one here that always gets me as a husband. First Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Like, why doesn't she have that one as well? It doesn't say that to wives. It says it to husbands. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said I was sorry because I knew that actually this is true. And not selfishly, but going, you know what? I need to repent. I haven't lived this out, and I don't want my, hair, my prayers to be hindered because they're the most important thing I have. It's the most powerful thing I can do. Why would I want the power and the life and the vitality and the energy sucked out of that? I just wouldn't. And so he just says, this <laughs> is entirely dependent on this. Don't feel burdened by this. It is freedom to us. 
because it actually helps us know and understand how to go and pray so effectively because in this kind of obedience where we can forgive and be forgiven, actually, it's incredible power and incredible freedom. He desperately wants to commune with us and this is how we do it. It doesn't have to be wordy or long or in public or special or well-phrased. It just has to be with a forgiving heart. But practicing forgiveness is, is an art. It's not easy. Often we just hold a grudge, right? Or just kind of stuff hurt or offense and fool ourselves into thinking that we have forgiven. I mean, isn't that true? We need to process hurt and offense in a way that actually helps us forgive completely. And look, Proverbs 19.11 says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So true. Let's cling to that. Let's live that. But if we can't, let's not fool ourselves. Let's recognize where these things have some role in our hearts and actually are impeding our prayers. I mean, monument, we are relying on one another to be in a forgiving place when we come together and we fast and pray. And it's okay if you struggle with that. It's okay if you're not perfect in that. He's helping us to become so. But actually, let's give attention to this in our lives. Now, I realize that forgiveness is an art, and, and that sometimes in any given moment we can want to practice resentment more than we want to practice forgiveness, right? I mean, even unconsciously. Well, there's good news for you. I'm going to teach you how to practice resentment and how to practice forgiveness, okay? There'll be something here for everybody. <laughs> but let's start with practicing resentment. This one comes so naturally. Like, I didn't even have to look into the Bible too much for this. This is just like falling off a log. And I would say that in light of hurt or offense, if you want to practice resentment, first step is the, what I call the barf method. And what it is, is like if you've been hurt or offended, just tell whoever who will listen. Tell whoever will listen and, and give ear to your anger, your, uh, it's called venting, right? Like somehow, like social media rants have become acceptable because we have a name for them. Right, And so what you want to do if you want to practice resentment is if you're hurt or offended, just puke it up on somebody else's lap. I mean, am I right? That is just a great way. Because why? What happens? Well, what happens is they start to go like, yeah, that's not right. I can't believe they did that to you. Man, and, and you, obviously you don't tell them the other side of the story at all. You leave that out completely. And, and, and you don't want the person to be a terribly mature person, right? Because they may correct you on it and say, well, maybe you should go talk to the person. Whoa, whoa, sorry, I, you're not the right person to talk to about this. I'm trying to practice resentment here. You want somebody who will just sympathize with your case and not really challenge you too much on the matter. So that's, that's the first step in sort of the, the, the BARF method. You want to gain sympathy and, and justification and, and make it one-sided, um, Obviously, you don't present any of what you did wrong. You'll steer clear of that. Um, and don't think about that very often either, by the way, because if you do that, you'll start to get muddy in the waters and you, it just it won't work quite as well. This is how we effectively practice resentment. If somebody says to you, hey, I don't know if you should be talking to me, you can also cloak it in the need for prayer, you know, and say, well, I'm actually, I'm just sharing this because I'd like you to pray for the situation. That's a great way of kind of camouflaging venting and ranting so that people go, oh, okay, I, oh, now I understand. Are you tracking with me? I mean, this is a great way to pray. 
kind of preacher is this guy? He's telling us, hey, I'm trying to help here, okay? Okay, so let me get to the next one. You want to nurse and rehearse whatever the offense is. Just over and over again, just think about it, replay it in your mind, and like feed it like a little garden that you're trying to grow. Like water it, you know, and give it special food and make sure that it gets sun. You want to nurse and rehearse it and, and keep playing the incident or, or the offense over in your head and continue to explain to yourself why it was so terrible. Now, I realize as I joke a little bit about this that people do have legitimate things that they have dealt with and they've been hurt or offended by. I have. I have been deeply hurt and deeply offended. And so it's not to make light of some of the pain that people experience. There are people I know in this room who have been abused. I I know that there are people in this room who have been subject to very unfair and unjust things. So please don't let my making a bit of light of our own nature uh, cancel that out or deal lightly with that. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is our perfect example because he endured everything we all have. There's not a single thing he didn't experience. Verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. He hung naked on a cross while they spit on him, and he was perfect. So he connects to that. He understands that. And he wants us to help. He wants to help us to learn how to live as he did in response to those things. But sometimes it just helps us to laugh a little bit at ourselves, to recognize that we do these things. You know, sometimes in the nurse and rehearse, you imagine yourself telling the person off, which of course is, you, you don't you actually go to the person. You, you sort of play out the scenario, and then I'm going to tell him this, and I'm going to tell him that, and then I'm going to really give it to him here, and maybe nobody here has done that. That's probably just me. I'm sure it's just me. The next one is don't, by all means, don't go and have a conversation with the person. If you want to practice resentment, that could somehow lead to breakthrough. You may wind up hearing their side of the story, understanding a little bit more, and then you have to forgive them and the whole thing is done. But if you do go to the person, um, make sure you don't let them get a word in edgewise and just really focus on making the case for why you're hurt and offended right? I mean, you've got to do that if you're going to do this successfully at all. Does that make sense? Just make sure that you don't give them a word in edgewise and and just make your case. And if they don't hear it, then just storm off. That's the best way not to... And and, and then, yeah, you really want to just kind of justify yourself. That's the most important aspect of this when you actually do talk to somebody. So just bear that, write that down. Just scribble that down in your notes. The final one is move on. Now, I put this in quotes. Thank you for the quotes there. Because as a pastor, I'm often seeing people who are telling me about issues that they've struggled with. My first, understandably, pass there is, I think you need to go and have a conversation. Or maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody else. I'm happy to participate. Maybe you haven't been able to satisfy, like according to Matthew 18, just the, the, the need to have this conversation. You need somebody else that who can be objective in this situation. So I hear this from people and I try to instruct them. And then sometimes I hear of issues that have happened, offenses or hurts that have happened, and they say, no, I've just moved on. And I'm like, hmm, you've moved on, I think. I'm like, well, how do you feel when you, when you see them, say, in church? Fine, I've moved on. <laughs> Understood. Okay, thank you. I guess we're fine then. I don't know what I was thinking. 
is there something in you that actually just comes alive with resentment um, that actually moving on doesn't quite satisfy? The human soul is complex, it's tender, and it has needs, and actually if we just move on, we don't address those things and they wind up just driving deeper into who we are and lo and behold, they just show up later somewhere. This is another thing, and not to sort of lament this too much as a pastor, but I find that people have often been hurt by fathers or churches. <laughs> kind of puts a pastor right in the firing line often. What did I do to this? I don't think I've done anything, but they seem very angry with me. It's okay, it's okay. I have grace for that. I understand that. I've had my own experiences but you just realize it's gonna pop up somewhere if, if you just move on, don't actually deal with it. Now, before I get into practicing forgiveness, which is not quite as funny or interesting, uh, I just wanna talk a little bit about really what we see and experience in, in Jesus in terms of these things. You know. You probably know by now, if you've been alive for any period of time, that the greatest offenses come from close friends, family, spouse, and the church. There are a few people who can offend you like you because we've given our hearts to one another, haven't we? We've made ourselves vulnerable. We've shared the inner components of our lives. And so when you do that, it means that they have access to a place in your life that can be hurt. Isn't that, isn't that true? And so you do, you have your close friends. I mean, if somebody on the street walked by and said, I think you're just a really arrogant person, I'd be like, whatever. I mean, you, know, you don't even know me. But if my wife says that, that's a very, she never obviously says anything like that, but <laughs> that's a very different prospect. And, and it actually hurts. It means something. Maybe it's true, but... But either way, it takes on a whole different meaning. And I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, again, he helps us with this. I mean, he experienced this. His closest friends turn their backs on him in his greatest time of need. Have you ever had that? I mean, the truth is you probably never had that like Jesus had it. I mean, imagine Peter, how close he was to Peter. And Peter denied him three times. He denied even knowing him. I mean, can you imagine if like Sam was caught in kind of a pickle and somebody was like, man, you know that guy? I'm like, no, I don't know. Sam who? No, I don't know him. That's so offensive. It's so hurtful. And yet Peter, who was so close to him and claimed to love him, he turned his back on him. He knows if you've been... If you've been offended or hurt in this way, Jesus knows. What's even crazy, and this one blows my mind, Jesus could have been offended before it even happened because he knew it was going to happen. Can you imagine if you knew all the offenses that everybody in this room were going to commit against you? How could, you couldn't possibly walk in forgiveness. He says, before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me three times, and he was in perfect forgiveness. I'd be like, and why are you going to do that, Peter? And Peter's like, I, didn't, I haven't done anything yet. But Jesus actually pre-forgave him for that because he walked in perfect forgiveness. His family, his own family, his dad, upon hearing that his mom was pregnant with him, wanted to leave. In some ways, I understand it. It was quite a mess. 
but he could have been very resentful of that. I mean, he has experienced the things that we've experienced. The church, nobody's been more mistreated by the church than Jesus, right? I mean, we sin against him. We don't obey his commands. But he's so gracious, he forgives us. And by the way, the church is the same as his spouse. His spouse, his spouse is unfaithful. His spouse neglects him. His spouse doesn't appreciate him. We can be guilty of this as the church, but he's so forgiving. How does he do it? How does he do it, and how do we learn from him? Because that's the posture from which he prays so effectively. It's extraordinary. And we find every single issue we've ever encountered in our lives in the life of Jesus, and he leads us the way through it. So let's talk then about practicing forgiveness. The first thing we do upon hurt or offense is we go to God in prayer. Now, that's, that can sound like a platitude. And trust me, when I say that, I'm not talking platitudes because I do a lot of this when I'm in, in prayer when I've been hurt or offended. Lord, do you believe what this person has done? I mean, I barf at this point in my life because I know I need to do that. Why? Because I need to get it off my chest. I, I have to tell somebody, and telling any of you is likely only going to make the problem worse and probably embitter you as to what happened. But I have written so much in my journal. I have cried out. And one of the beautiful things that happens is not only do I get it off my chest, he begins to remind me of some things, of who I am, of the things I've done in the past, of the fact that he needed to be crucified to forgive my sins. Not that he always says, just look, but look at, I died for you. He, he just gently walks me through these things like no other audience can. Sometimes I find imagining what God might say in prayer is a really effective part of prayer. Do you ever do that? Sometimes you feel, I'm not hearing him, I'm not hearing him. Well, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've heard his words in the past, then you can begin to, you know, it's like if I, if I have a conversation with my wife, we've been married 19 years. By the way, I've never had any resentment toward my spouse. As you can imagine, it's just been 19 years of wedded bliss. I love you. I was talking about everybody else and their spouses. <laughs> if, if I'm thinking of something, that I want to do. I'm like, you know what? I want to go buy a Ferrari. I'm like, how would that conversation go with Celeste? I know pretty quickly how it would go. My imagination is very vital in that way. I'm like, she would look at me like I have two heads and we would not buy a Ferrari. <laughs> you, you can imagine based on the character and the words of God as he's represented in the Bible and as you've experienced him before, you can imagine what he says. So when you go to him in prayer to vent these things, he's wide open. He will listen and then you can just begin to imagine what and how he may say to you in order to help you in this situation. And you've done no damage. He's undamageable when it comes to this. So good that he's there for us in this way. Do we use him for that? Do we go to him? It's so important. We need to fully recognize just how he has forgiven us. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. You've been, 
your debt has been canceled incredibly. Somebody owes you a little and we hold them in jail. And actually he's saying it just doesn't work that way. And he wants to help us with that. Uh, my second point is acknowledge the pain rather than the nurse and rehearse. And these are sort of corresponding. Acknowledge that you've been hurt. I think sometimes we want to just kind of stiff up our lip and go, I'm a mature Christian, that didn't hurt me. And you know, it's just like, but why are your fists turning white? <laughs> it's because I'm actually hurt. I'm offended. That did something in me, to my heart, to my soul, because I, I made myself vulnerable to this person and, and they did that or they said that. And and that's where we just need to acknowledge the pain. Most of us, I think, a lot of the time are trying to hide an indication of weakness. We can't hide behind Christianity as a facade. We actually need real forgiveness for real hurt and real pain that we've experienced. The other one is go to the person. Actually go to the person that hurt or offended you, not various others who might hear your case and have sympathy. And, and I want to just make a real quick distinction here. A lot of times when we go to people, we say, you know, you made me feel this way. And I think it's so important to tell people how you feel in light of what's happened, but nobody can make you feel anything. I mean, could I make... Sam feel jealous of me? I mean, I'm aware of the good looks and charm, but I can't make him feel jealous of those things. He chooses. And, and so you, you, we can't say to somebody, <laughs> you, you do, <laughs> you are jealous. Well, I didn't make you that way. All I'm saying, you know. <laughs> we've got to be aware that how we feel is, is a choice we've made. And it's maybe a very valid choice, a legitimate choice, but I think for us to just help people understand, hey, look, this is what happened and this is how I feel out of that. <laughs> it's really a good opportunity. And, and then give them an opportunity to respond. Um, and if you don't do it right, apologize. Normally, if we go to somebody and we want to talk through how we've been hurt or offended, we actually don't do it very well. So give other people latitude for not doing it very well. If they come and they scream and they cry and they insult you, just chill out because it's not easy if you've hurt or offended somebody. I have. I know that, especially being a leader in the church. I've got to make a lot of decisions, and I do things, and most of the time I'm not hurting people, but sometimes I am, and I don't mean to. It, it breaks my heart, but I know that I need to hear people and give them an opportunity to really say what it is that they feel that's happened. And so... On the flip side of that, if you don't do it right, just apologize. I'm sorry. This didn't come out the way I wanted to, but, but, but are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I really want to make this right with you and I. And, and the truth is, you know, regardless of how they respond, forgive them. And man, that is so much easier said than done. But we have the power to forgive because Jesus could forgive everyone for everything they've ever done. He sat on the cross, and one of the most mind-blowing moments is that as he sat there pinned on the cross and they spat and insulted him, he said, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. Some of them being his very own friends, the people who followed him. He just had the ability to do that, and we do too as his spirit lives inside us, and let us reach in and grab hold of that power to forgive. And oftentimes we look for some satisfaction in the response. 
if they only said this, you know, I was really hurt by someone in church and they came to me and they apologized and I could not have scripted it better, but it didn't actually fill me. It didn't satisfy me. I didn't want any more from him. I just knew that that wasn't gonna do it. The pain I felt in my own heart needed to be healed another way. A human cannot heal it. But we often look to exact the solution from people when it's actually only God who can provide it. So script out your best apology from the person who did the worst thing to you and then throw it away. Because actually what you need is Jesus to satisfy in those moments. And that's full satisfaction, true satisfaction. And then don't move on until you've actually forgiven. And again, that can be easier said than done, and that can take time, and it's okay. One of the first churches I was involved with, I was so hurt in that church, and I I think it honestly took me years, maybe not to forgive, I don't know where the line was, but just to have a clear heart toward some of the people that hurt me so badly. I exposed my heart to them. I made myself vulnerable to them and they took advantage of me and they hurt me and they misled me and they said things and they did things that were wrong. (laughs) In church, I know, it's hard to believe, but it's not. But actually what I experienced from the church is nothing like what Jesus experienced the way we've hurt him and disobeyed him and turned our back on him, it's just way worse. And yet, he's so forgiving, so loving. And so take the process and understand and plot it out and journal and go to God and really work through this so that moving on means moving on. That that person in you is no longer alive to the hurt or offense. That's freedom. That's freedom in prayer. That's freedom in life. That's freedom in every relationship you have, you just walk with a sense of ease and freedom. I I believe that many people are burdened by hurt and offense that they harbor and don't even know it. That's why we can never talk about this enough because we're students of this. We want to practice this and be incredibly good at it. The last point that I want to make that I think is probably the most important is understanding The why. Why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? That was a question we were asked in the Alpha Course all the time. Why? How do I make any sense of this? And and I think it helps. It helps us to have the right posture before God and to forgive. The amazing thing is, this is another passage that will always blow me away, is it says, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered says that in Hebrews. What? Why did he need to learn obedience at all? He was God. I, I will spend my lifetime trying to crack that one, trying to understand what that means. But I think there's a clue here in Hebrews 12 where it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, have you? Nobody here has, I don't think. So we're in this camp. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. 
For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Why? It's because offense is God's training ground. See, it's the the things that we are subjected to, just like the things Jesus was subjected to, that actually train us to be more like Jesus. When it says that he suffered, when Jesus suffered, he didn't suffer like natural disasters or his car broke down. What did he suffer? He suffered terrible treatment from other people that somehow was the means by which he became the savior of the world. That just blows me away. And so we look at these things and go, why did I experience that? And, you know, you get into the thing of, well, you know, did God cause that? All we know is that he's sovereign over all of it and that he wants to bring us through it in a way that makes us more like Jesus. And if Jesus had to, had to experience these things, then somehow so must we. That's a sobering idea, but actually the reward of these things that we endure and do not grow weary is extraordinary. We pray more effectively. We become more like him and we walk in the grace, the mercy, the love and the power of Jesus in ways that had we not encountered these hurts or offenses, we never could have. I mean, can you grasp that? It's beautiful, it's painful, but it's beautiful. R.T. Kendall says this, if a person's chief desire is for greater anointing, And he's told that this anointing will come in proportion to the degree that he forgives others, he will be more motivated to forgive. I love how he finishes. I, for one, want a greater anointing. Do you want a greater anointing? What that means is do you want to actually just move, work, live, and be in the power of God to the greatest extent that you can be? I mean, yeah, yes, And yet, it is through forgiveness, both receiving and giving, that seems to be the greatest agent of these things. I don't think we truly possess the power to forgive as God would have us if we don't understand the bigger picture of why and how he disciples us through the sin of others that we're intended to endure. Does that make sense? Imagine if Jesus just thought all of the hostility from sinners that he faced was just that he drew the short straw in life. Man, I got dealt a bad hand. I mean, it would be so depressing. But Jesus knew that by bearing the cross and all of the hostilities that he would experience from people, that he would be consummating his life's purpose and becoming the savior of all humanity. He knew this. He knew this. He bore this in mind. I remember, and I'll close with this, I had been deeply offended by somebody in church, a church leader, and I was so upset and I was so justified, I felt like I could even explain to you now why it's wrong. I'm not bitter about it. Thank God who worked (laughs) this through with me, but it was just, yeah, it wasn't right. And I remember going to God and doing one of my fist-shaking moments, Lord, this is not right, and you know, how can this happen, and do you, did you see what happened? By the way, he does see what happens, right? He knows what happens. He cares about what happens. Do you think he's satisfied when people hurt one another? No. <laughs> he wants perfect unity and love and peace among his children. There's no question about that. But I'm sitting there in prayer, and I remember saying, have you seen this, and do you know what happened, and do you know why I'm so angry? And he said, yes, I do. He said, so what? 
I was like, what? what? <laughs> I should go tell somebody else about this. <laughs> they would sympathize. He said, so what? I actually wanted you to be subject to injustice to see if you would come to the just one. I actually used that situation, that opportunity. I saw what happened. It wasn't right. So what? Okay. <laughs> now what? Forgive him. Because actually I was overseeing the whole thing the whole time anyway. And the pain you felt was real and the wrong that happened was real. But actually, now you and I are here and we're dealing with some stuff. Now this is between you and I. And now I can make you who you weren't. And I realized actually at that point in my life it was because of the next chapter. You don't know that until actually you enter the next chapter and you go, oh my gosh, that was so vital. I'm so, thank you, Lord, for bringing me through that and teaching me something I did not know and making me somebody I wasn't because I needed that for this next chapter. I mean, are, are you willing, are you willing to lean into these things as much as you need to in order to embrace the future that God has because it's not always just roses it actually can be a great struggle as we push our way through these things in order to come out on the other side somebody that we never could have been had we not endured them. And please hear my greatest sympathies. I have heard many great injustices and travesties and terrible, terrible things as a pastor. I mean, I'm just thinking about them right now and I could cry for the things I've heard people have done to one another. So I am with you. But somehow, he wants to draw us through and out of this so that we can live in the freedom of Jesus to pray as he prayed. I think sometimes probably what we struggle with most is forgiving God. How could you have let that happen? Why did I have to endure that? And of course, when I say forgiving God, we know that God can do no wrong. And so what does it mean to forgive God? It actually just means to repent. Doesn't it? I mean, if we hold and harbor things against God, let's be honest with ourselves, but then let's consider it the sin that it is and just turn back to him. That's where this freedom continues to flow.